Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. This morning, we're continuing our series called The Unopened Gift. We have this huge box over here that is emblematic of the gifts that sometimes we leave unopened. Today, we're talking about peace, the unopened gift of peace, and we're going to look at this guy's name, Simeon. Simeon is a part of the Christmas story that we don't often make it all the way to, but we're going to be in Luke 2. So get your Bible, get your Bible app out, and you can follow along. We're going to be starting in verse 25. But Simeon, you guys, Simeon has a revelation for Christmas, he didn't miss it. He opened the gift. And for us, we have the same opportunity at Christmas. I'll tell you, at this Christmas time, we have the opportunity. We can have a, a checkbox Christmas and a checkbox of dinner party and shopping and dressing up and even church attendance. We can have a checkbox Christmas or we can have a, a grand revelation Christmas where it's actually meaningful to us that God came into the earth with skin on, in the form of baby Jesus. That's a radical, a radical announcement. And Simeon was the one who got that. He captured that idea. It made him an announcer. It made him like a prophet. We used that word a couple weeks ago as well. Just think of a prophet as a messenger of God's promises. He's here to announce the truth of God and the message of God and, and to show his promises are real in this world. And so all of us, I think, want Christmas to be more. We want to get to the real reason for the season, if you will. But there's this teeny tiny little thing that sometimes gets in the way, this thing called conflict. Conflict. Does anyone just love conflict? You're just amped on it? You're just like, let's go headfirst into the conflict wall because I'm going to tackle this thing and it's going to be okay. Is anyone, is anyone wired that way? There's mostly shaking heads like this, but there's a couple that are like, yeah, that's how I roll. I'm just a cowboy for conflict and it's crazy. How many of you guys had a conflict just this morning, just like on the way in? I'm looking for nods. You don't have to raise your hand. You're brave and bold if you do, but no. Okay, yeah, some of us just have a conflict loading the babies in the car. I'm speaking from firsthand experience. A couple weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, I had this conflict. Um, If you were here last weekend, um, you would have heard Bucky talking about our family photo op, our family Christmas photo shoot. You can go back and listen to it if you missed it, but uh, it was wild enough just to manage seven kids on the beach trying to get, you know, just one good picture. And that was crazy and stress-filled enough as it was. But then my conflict wasn't with that. My conflict was with the photographer, okay? So um, I won't get into the details, okay? But I'll just say I didn't want to kill this sweet man. I, I, but I, I was tempted to be a not a very nice Christian. I, I will say that much. Our conflict, what was it over? You know, our conflict was over, I'll give you one guess. Our conflict was over the money, the money thing. Man, did we really get the value for what we paid for? And this whole thing was a gift. And uh, man, I just, there's, you know, it wasn't just money. There's personality involved. You know, there's, you know those personalities. There's a personality that you know out there. It just rubs you wrong, kind of gets you going. And then, of course, at the, at the core of it, there's that sense of injustice. You ever been in a conflict, just like the fight of your life? And why? Why do you dig down? Well, because you think it's gross, miscarriage of justice. That's what we think. That's what we feel. And though I won't go into all the details, like I said, um, I will skip to the end. And, and what's at the end is what was revealed in my heart. It's really what it's about, right? Do we have the ability to, to introspect? 
Can we look inside ourselves and say, man, I, there's a bit of a warring spirit in you, Ben. Where does that come from? What are you doing here? What's God trying to show you? And that's where I ultimately landed. And I, and I have to pray. I have to pray like almost daily, God, create a new spirit in me. Make a new heart in this place so I can face life's battles. So conflict. Mine was pretty petty. There's someone in the room today, maybe a great percentage of you, that are, that are going through a real sincere conflict, like a war. Maybe, maybe it's crippling, that it's very real for you. And I want to suggest that there's a way we can get to the unopened gift of peace. We can get to peace through the conduit of conflict. That's our big idea this morning, that conflict is a conduit for complete peace. Did you see what I did there? You see the C, 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 C? It's a conduit, okay? Conflict is a conduit for, it's a pathway to complete peace. I think God is up to something using our conflicts, and I think Simeon shows this very well, okay? So I'll catch you up really quickly. Uh, where we find ourselves in Luke 2, in the story with Simeon, is that Jesus has been born in Bethlehem, About eight days later, he has to travel back to the temple in Jerusalem because he's going to be circumcised, as was the good cultural standard and law of the Jewish people. And he's also, they're going to pay an offering because he was a firstborn son. How funny and ironic is that? They're going to pay, it's called a redemption price. They would pay a redemption price for the son who was also the ultimate redeemer of all mankind. His parents were good, faithful Jews. And they were going to the temple to fulfill the law. And they get caught up with this guy, Simeon. And here's what he says. This is what happens, verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout, looking for the restoration of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So who is Simeon? Can we just jump into kind of a character profile for Simeon? Simeon Simeon was able to find peace during wartime. I just want to tell you that right now. During a wartime season where the way of the world around him was at war, he had peace. He had a, a wonderful sense of peace. But what can we tell about Simeon? Why? Why was he able to do that? And why, was he, why did it feel like he was at war? Well, if we look at Simeon, we can look at other prophets of the time, these other messengers of God at his time or even hundreds of years before his time. We have these wonderful, they call them major and minor prophets, you know, the Jeremiah's, Isaiah's, Elijah, um, you know, Jonah even, right? We have these prophets. And it was kind of a lonely business being a prophet. If you have to be the messenger for God's truth sometimes, it can be an alienating it can be an isolating experience because no one really wants to hear that. <laughs> we're, we're, we're way better kept to just our comfort and kind of our status quo. We don't need some wild voice box of God shaking things up. So he's got that going on. It's just not a nice job. And then he's got the Jewish leadership structure around him. They seem to be so blind, deaf, and dumb to the gift. Why, why couldn't they see the signs? And he's against the stream always because of that. And then you have this Jewish culture that's about rules and rules and rules and rules in order to gain access to God. Now, a prophet can see through that. They understand you can, you can talk to God. You can be present with God without all the rules and regulations. You can meet him. That's how else can they be the voice box of God unless they're in touch with God. They get that. So he's against the stream in that way. And on top of all of that, he's facing an oppressive regime. This, this, you know, this tyrannical Roman, Greco-Roman regime that has constantly their foot on the necks of the Jewish people. It's a, it's a war all the way around him. But what sustains Simeon? It's in the passage. It says he was righteous, devout. He was eager. He was with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was with him. How did he maintain it? Where did it come from? And here's our first practical takeaway this morning. I want you to 
understand and feel equipped to walk forward into this Christmas season? How can I maintain a sense of peace like Simeon had? If if we skip down, you're going to see it in a second. But verse 29, he refers to himself as a slave for Christ, a slave for God. And in the Bible, we see the term servant and slave used interchangeably. But what does it mean to be a servant, and how does that instruct our level of peace? Well, if you're a servant or a slave, it means that you're led by the Spirit. It means that you're in communion with him. It means that you've met him, which is the spirit of God living inside of us. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is a gift for every believer. And if you haven't experienced that yet, we would love to talk to you and pray with you after service. But that is a gift given to us, the spirit of God living actually inside of us to encourage, to direct, to speak truth and conviction on our souls when God presses his, his finger on our hearts. That's what it means to be servant. It means that you're, you're taught by the word. It means that you actually have this thing open and you're looking at the truths of it, seeing how it could impact your daily life day over day. The the prophet like Simeon, he would have been in this. That's why he didn't miss the gift. He was looking at the signposts. He saw the different messages from the prophets who came before him and said, look at this town, at this place, in this way, Messiah, Savior. Check it out. He was ready. That's what made him ready. And it also means that you're obedient to the will of God. As someone who is a servant or a slave, remember we're talking about how do we get peace, Ben? How do we get peace during this season? What we, I think, learn from Simeon is that he was a slave and that he, he bent his life towards the will of God, not the whim of the world. He built his life towards the will of God, not the whim of the world. You guys, I desire so deeply that we would get this right as a church, as a people. We would be different in the way that we handle conflict You see, because if we subscribe to the whim of the world, when we face conflict or when we have anger, that means, man, you know what? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, man. He crossed you, cross him right back, payback. You've had a conflict with someone inside or outside the church. You know what? I'm going to go talk to my friend about this or this other person about this conflict, and I'm going to tell them all about how I'm right and I'm justified and the other person's wrong. The Bible, the biblical method for conflict and anger is what? Jesus' own words, don't let the sun go down on your anger. You're on your way to church service and you realize that you have someone against something, drop what you're doing and go and be reconciled to them. And if you have a problem with someone in church or outside the church, go and meet them. Don't go and talk about it with other people. A servant or a slave of Christ or God understands that their life needs to be bent towards the will of God, not the whim of the world. And we will look different, and that will be a powerful, powerful picture for the world when they see how differently you all approach and deal with conflict. And peace will be on the other side of that. This is really quick. We did this series on flourishing. It's a big word for us at Watermark. A lot of our lives, they're missing pieces. And so we walk around limping and broken with these missing emotional pieces, these missing spiritual pieces. And I'm telling you, with the unresolved conflicts in your life, you cannot be totally flourishing. You will not get to a place of complete flourishing if you're letting those wounds and those conflicts fester. Simeon got that because he referred to himself as a servant or a slave. We're willing to become slaves for Christ. We'll have peace when the world is at war around us. When the world is at war, we can find peace by letting our whole lives be governed by the God of the universe. Verse 27. Not 30. 27. There it is. Thank you, Mel. You're a hero and a champion. Verse 27. So Simeon, direct by the Spirit, came into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary according to the law, remember what I mentioned before, Simeon took him in his arms and blessed God, saying, Now, according to the word, sovereign Lord, 
your word, sovereign Lord, permit your servant, see, to, do, to depart in peace. To depart in peace. How many of us could say that? How many of us could say that right now, here and now, in this season, maybe even this morning? Lord, just take me. Go ahead and take me. I'm ready. I'm ready to die in peace. I'm good. I'm reconciled. I don't have any fires that are not put out. I don't have any outstanding debts or conflicts or anger issues with people out there. I'm good. Just come and take me now. That word depart, and your version that you're reading along might say, just take me or I'm ready to die. Depart is a real true sense of the word. It's used elsewhere in scripture. Here's some of the context in which it's used. For the release of a prisoner. Some of us may feel like we're in a prison cell this morning with our conflict or our anxiety. Or untying a ship. To depart means to untie a ship and to to set sail. That speaks of freedom, doesn't it? To be totally free. And and, and also it's used about unyoking a beast of burden. You know, the the, take off the neck plate that would have the animal drive and to be free, to be released. And so I've given you the picture of peace that Simeon uses by using the word depart. but, But again, there's an obstacle for so many of us in the room this morning to actually ever experience that freedom and that peace. And I think for a lot of us, it's through the wall of anxiety. It's through this ubiquitous wall of anxiety. I think everyone in the room has probably been either directly or indirectly affected by this monumental issue. And the statistics would confirm that too. Look at this uh, 2018 survey by the American Psychiatric Association. It says that 39% of Americans feel more anxious now than they did in 2017. 40%, almost half. Every generation is affected by this. Millennials are not off the hook. Everyone is affected by this statistic. In a sample of 1,000, 2,000 people, you can say that's pretty close. What are the things we worry about? We worry about keeping our family safe. We worry about finances. We worry about our health. We are more and more evolved than any person ever or any other time. We are more technocratic than ever before. And how come we can't solve this one, guys? How come we can't solve this one? We have all the medicine and all the stuff and all the distractions. How come we can't figure this one out? We're not becoming less and less anxious. It says here from the data, we're becoming more anxious. And the the prescription of the world would say, you know, work out, relax, eat healthy, spend time with the people you love. And that's good. Those are good things, but it will only ever get us halfway. It will only ever get us halfway. If, so if you're listening and you're tracking with me now and we're thinking about the big idea, a conduit for complete peace, conflict, even like anxiety, Ben, how could God be allowing anxiety in my life? How could he be allowing that and how could that possibly be a pathway for peace? How is that possible? The only way that I can answer that, having those close to me who struggle with anxiety, is that if it drives you closer to him, if it's something that keeps you on your knees, needing a savior, needing a good father, then maybe it is something that God has there for a reason. Through prayer and solitude. And you know what else would be the answer in your time of anxiety, in your time of incredible anxiety? Worship. Do you know what Simeon does in verse 29? He's about to break out in song. This is worship. Simeon has a war all around him. People have a war inside them. He probably has a war inside him as a rogue, wild, prophetic guy. He's out there in the wilderness most of the days and probably feels totally isolated. He's got a war inside himself. Jeremiah was one of the most anxious and depressed and manic and crazy guys you ever meet as one of our famous kind of so-called prophets. He breaks into song. So the question is, in, in our hour of need, do we turn to worship? And there's a reference, I believe, that will support this, you guys. Look at the life of Paul. 
Okay, Paul, one of the most famous biblical you know, apostles, if you will, the apostle Paul. You look at his life and he affirms this. This is from, it's on the screen, but just follow along as I read this from 2 Corinthians 12. That's what it says. I had this experience I could have boasted about, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 6. If I wanted to, I could have done so because I would have been telling you the truth. But I don't want, any, I don't want to give credit beyond what they can see in my life or to hear my message, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, this is red letter, this is red letter. So this is like Jesus or God speaking to Paul. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. I'm gonna read one more time. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Another way of putting that, if you looked at the original language that it was written, is that uh, when you come to the end of yourself, there I am. When you are done and you are spent and you are taxed and you're about to have a panic attack, right in that place, God's ready to do his best work. Paul, who had this thorn that we don't know particularly or specifically what it was about, but we know he was in pain. We know he probably had anguish. We know he was probably torn up sometimes at war with himself anyway. Simeon, what I see in Simeon is a suggestion that when we have a war going on inside ourselves, can we be moved to worship or prayer or solitude? When we're anxious about work, when we're anxious about our kids, when we're anxious about our roommates, our spouses, can we break out into song? We need to develop that muscle, you guys. We need to develop that place in our heart that has worship as a go-to, silence, solitude, prayer as a go-to. That's a powerful way that Simeon was able to find peace when we're at war with the world, when we're at war with ourselves, and sometimes we're even at war with those who are different than us. This is how he continues in verse 30. Oops, there it is, right there. Good. So, for my eyes have seen your salvation. This is the song. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel, for whom all the people all the time. Say it with me. All the people all the time. One more time. All the people all the time. For all the people all the time. Bucky talked about this last weekend. Why on earth do the wise men eventually get to have an audience with Jesus? The wise men, these people from the east, outsiders, foreigners, not devout Jews, but maybe new believers. Why on earth do the shepherds get an audience with Jesus, the king of the universe? Why do they get an audience? Shepherds are the worst people. They're the worst. Okay, I don't know how to apply it to modern day standards. When was the last time you had a contractor, you had a customer service person, you had whoever it was, and they did not know how to do their job, and they were cheap, and they tried to rip you off, and they were just kind of scummy, okay? It was the shepherds. And yet the angel goes to them. God sends to them an audience with the king. He is for all people all the time. This is a passage of reconciliation. That's what Simeon's saying. He is a devout Jew talking to Mary and Joseph as his Jewish family, suggesting there's going to be a bridge built between you, insiders, the religious elite, and Gentiles, those outsiders, those who don't know God, don't have faith, don't have relationship. What, Ben, it's a great question, what on earth, Ben, does the Jew-Gentile reconciliation have to do with me right here, right now, in this Christmas season? That would be a great question. Well, let's do it. Let's just take Simeon with us. Let's get really practical, okay? Are you ready? Okay, we're just going to take Simeon with us. We're going to get loaded up in the car. We're going to Aunt Susan's or Uncle Joe's, and we're ready to meet some people who are different from us, okay? 
that awkward encounter with the cousins, the aunts, the uncles, the grandparents, you know are coming, and you're going to face a conflict, and here's what I want you to remember, how to find peace and how to manage conflict as a pathway to peace. You have to have a couple quick tips. This is just a bonus, okay? This is a bonus for you. You're going to take Simeon with you into the Christmas season. Here's what Jew-Gentile reconciliation means for me and you. It means what Jesus says in Mark 12. You should love your neighbor as yourself. How basic is that? Is that basic? Is that so basic? It can't be so basic because Jesus says that's the greatest commandment. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. If our conflicts, you guys, if we were able to enter in our conflicts for a second and just consider the other person's interests above ourselves, wow. Wow, would that be a starting place for moving towards peace and reconciliation a little bit quicker. A prophet like Simeon, he would have known that sometimes you give a truthful word in your conflict. Sometimes you give tough feedback Like it says in Proverbs 27, faithful are the wounds from a friend. Faithful are the wounds from a friend. Are you willing to give someone that truth that they need to see in order to have their blind spot illuminated so that they cannot have an inhibition to flourishing, to growth, to health in all areas of their life? To treat your neighbor as yourself with their interests ahead of your own will help you practically in this Christmas season. And remember, Paul talked about this. I was given this thorn from from the enemy, from Satan, from the devil. You have to remember that when we are in the conflicts, when we are in a battle, you have to remember Ephesians 6. Write it down. Go back to it. It has served me so well in my conflicts. Paul says that we are are not in a a battle against flesh and blood, but but against forces of an unseen world. I'm not trying to spook you, especially if you're new to church and you're checking it out, but the, but, but the Bible is very clear that that's a reality. There is a known natural world and there is a spiritual world. That there are forces of, of good and for, forces of evil in this world that are at play. And we know who wins. We know who conquers death. We know who conquers sin and the devil in the end, which is our ultimate hope. And it's a beautiful thing. But you've got to understand that when you're facing the conflicts, um, I've faced conflicts before, even with my friends at church, and I knew I was never throwing a punch at an actual person, but an enemy who wants nothing more than to keep us alienated and divided. That's real for this Christmas season. He would love to take you down a notch with your family who need to know Jesus and instead let a political debate or let some drama with a family decision or whatever it is get stuck in the way. We'd love for that to happen, cause alienation with our families. So we're at war with the world around us. We may be at war with ourselves. And we're at war with those who are different, different in temperament. Like I said, it might be that uncle, that uncle, that aunt, that awkward person, that awkward personality like me with the photographer. It's just a little bit awkward. It's just kind of grinded on me a little bit. It's not always just the difference in race, gender, class, socioeconomic status. For me, it's more the temperament and the personality. We're at war with those who are different. And there's a pathway to peace if we took a biblical lens for it. There's a way to peace. Verse 33, so the child's father and mother were amazed at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, listen carefully. This child is destined to be the cause of the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be rejected. Indeed, as a result of him, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul as well. Recap, in other words, you're going to come upon opposition your, your stuff, your, your junk, your crud is going to be exposed before someone else, before another. And depending on how you look at it, you may flourish or you may flounder. That's just a recap of what Simeon's talking about. He's talking about here and now and the time that Jesus comes and he's on earth. And he's talking about the life yet to come. But a really good question. If you just heard what was read, you're thinking to yourself, oh, cool, Ben. Yeah, um, I thought we were talking about peace this morning, man. 
It sounds like Jesus brings one heck of a hammer and is like this divisive figure. So how do we reconcile with this divisive picture, Ben? How can we possibly look at that? Well, it says that there will be falling, which is judgment. It says that there will be blessing, which is rising. And there's a, a big secret. Let me in on, the, I'll let you in on the big secret. You guys ready for the big secret? It's a big secret, and uh, it's not really a secret at all, because it's in the passage. It's right up there on the screen, okay? But here's the secret. Indeed, as a result of him, the thoughts of many, what? Hearts. And indeed, at verse 35, sorry, I didn't tell you where we were. Now you can catch it, and you can yell back to me, and you can holler, verse 35. Indeed, as a result of him, the thoughts of many, what? Hearts will be revealed. Yes, he came to put his finger on the issue in our heart that he wants to have illuminated and shown. This last one, you guys, we may be at war with the world around us. We may be at war with ourselves, inside ourselves. And what I know that one or two of you are at war with someone who's different than you, but we're also at war with a God who's after our hearts. I think sometimes we're, we're, we're in a war with a God who's after our hearts. That's where the division is going to happen. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt like God was just pressing, as my friend Eric says, just pressing the finger on that one ugly or hidden part of your heart? It's just kind of like, no, it's like you're trying to hide it. You're like trying to brush God's finger off. You're like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to handle that yet. I'm not ready. I'm, no, it's okay. I can, I can just let that stay for a little bit longer. And he's pressing in. The best way I can think about, you know, an analogy or a metaphor for that is in the human body. It's like pain management. You know, you have a symptom. You have an, ex- a, an endpoint symptom, like a, like a busted planter, you know, the bottom of your foot, the bottom middle of your foot, like I have when I run or when I work out. Sometimes it hurts. Well, that's, that's an extension of my calf. That's an endpoint issue that's only a symptom of the source. And Jesus wants to get after the source. When those symptomatic things come up, he wants to get after the source, which is what's going on in your heart. And yes, when Jesus comes on the scene, it's like that classic, again, I don't have any better metaphors. I'm sorry, okay? So I've got to use the classic one. But you've got the crooked stick, and then Jesus comes in, and he lays down this straight one that was maybe never known before, really. And he comes in and lays down the ultimate standard, the ultimate bar with no blemish, no mistake. He's totally perfect. And that's what happens in terms of division inside our hearts When you meet a perfect standard, there's something that's going to happen in your heart. There's going to be some friction. There's going to be a challenge. I'm going to invite the band up as we we wind down our time. Uh, There's that last part. A sword will pierce your own soul as well. That last line, you know what that last line is? As 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 a message on war and a message on bringing peace into our daily lives, uh, Christ came to bring ultimate peace for what he would do on the cross. That's what the last line is. Simeon, in effect, is looking at Mary saying, um, your son's going to go down. <laughs> He's going to go down, and it's going to be painful. It's going to be painful for you, and it's going to hurt. But through him will be the ultimate pathway to complete and total peace. Through his body will be the pathway of complete and total peace. If you don't believe me that Jesus' life was not a cakewalk, (laughs) look no further than the words of Isaiah. We know that he died a horrible, horrendous death. But, But what about the years before that? How was it for Jesus? Let's look at just his ministry years, the three years that he was around. If you look at Isaiah 53, this is what it says. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. 
He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Verse 4. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Far before Jesus arrived at the cross and brutal, brutal torture and death, he was tempted. He was tempted by the devil himself, it says. He was hungry and on his feet doing work from morning till evening. He was constantly harassed and begged. And he worked. He healed and he worked. And when he healed and he worked, I love what one author and pastor says, he absorbed the pain of the world in those moments. He wasn't some distant God, some far removed God that didn't know what it was like to feel your anxiety, that didn't know what it was like to have people begrudging you and have conflicts towards you, what didn't know what it was like to walk through the battle lines. In his work from beginning to end, he knew what it was like to have the world enter into himself and also let amazing power come from him in the times that he healed, in the times that he worked miracles. What did he get but betrayal and abandonment, not just from this world, but from his friends, those closest to him, and a brutal torture and death on a cross. But that wasn't the end. If you think I'm going to stop there and end there, that wasn't the end. You guys, we have no other way to handle this picture, to handle baby Jesus coming into the world, except for to understand that that was the gift that would lend itself to complete and total peace in this life and the life to come. So the words of John 14 is what I would leave you with. Spend time this week in the next couple days. Get away from the rush. You know, Jesus had to do that. Jesus, the Son of God, who had constant, seeming constant communion with him, who had benefits of being the Son of God. What does it say? It says that even Jesus departed from the crowds and got away to pray and be quiet and to be with the Father. You got to do that, guys. We have to do that. I have to do that in this week to get away from the crowds for a moment. Because the enemy wants to use chaos and disorder and conflict and anxiety. He wants to use that to completely tear you down and rob another Christmas season. And it's not just about stuff, but about a life and life to the full. So think about these words. Pray over these words. Take a picture. Go to the reference in your Bible and mark it. John 14. I pray this verse over my wife when she's struggling with anxiety. Pray these words. I had to memorize at least one. I had to memorize at least one passage that I could draw from. And listen to these, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not a gift the world gives, another translation says. This is a gift the world cannot give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You know, we had this, um, this is the last thing I'll say. We had this kind of powerful moment last week. Uh, some of you who know me and are getting to know me, my wife and I have seven kids. Four of those are biological and, and three of those are adopted. And we celebrated in court on Thursday our final adoption day where everything was official and final. It's cool. Pretty neat. Pretty powerful stuff. And yet, and yet we were reminded uh, as we went into court, um, that's not the story I even want to share. There was a moment, a case that was coming after us and there was a girl, maybe about 10 years old, and, and the lawyer or, or the social worker, you know, came out to her and said, you know, last time you were here, you, you were, had tears in your eyes and you were so upset. Look at you today. You're so happy. 
You see, there's no better picture than complete peace than thinking about a family wholeness to, to thinking about a family that becomes complete. That's actually the biblical word for peace is shalom. I've heard it before. Shalom doesn't just mean, yo, peace up or peace out or, or peace be on you. No, it means completeness, fullness, wholeness. And we got to see outgoing this young girl who you can't imagine the ups and downs in her life being tossed from home to home, from, from some of these kids that are teenagers, even group home to group home, whoever will take them. And they're thinking to themselves, is this going to be the one? Is, is this going to be the parents? Is this going to be the home? Is this going to be the family? Only to have it be ripped away and to have it be turned over again and again. Do you know what a spirit of conflict and anxiety and war that does to the heart and the mind of a child of any age? And the reminder for this sweet little girl, this 10-year-old, days before Christmas was the fact that she was going to get a taste of peace. Just a little taste of what it means to be complete and to not be up in the air anymore and not to be torn between two areas and places. She could be known and she could be redeemed and she didn't have to be at war anymore because on Christmas morning she's going to have a place. She's going to have a place. And there's a place for you. There's a place for you to get away from the war and to find a place of complete peace. If you can pause and you can chase down the pathway of being present with him, he's available to you. He will make himself available to you. So that's my prayer. Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you so much for what you've done in my family, God. That you are an adoptive father. That you let um, no child be unseen. And that includes us as children in the room, God. Though some of us feel like we're in the thick of battle right now, we're, we're in the battle for our lives. God, show us how that battle is meant to form us, to lead to flourishing, and to lead ultimately to peace, I pray. There are people in this room, God, who feel like they're a prisoner, like they're shackled, like they're trapped in a ship of anxiety, Lord. And I want them to be able to say, I depart. I depart from those anxious thoughts. I depart from those anxious conclusions I'm making out in my mind about, about finances, about health, about work, about family. Let them depart with perfect peace from that anxiety and from those conflicts, Lord God. Show us this season how we can be beacons of light. Like baby Jesus in the arms of Mary and Joseph as they go to meet Simeon, Lord. There is light and hope in the baby. And there is light and hope in us as we go forth and we handle our conflicts in a different sort of way. We can be at war all around us, God. We can be at war all around us, but let people see in all of us in this room peace that would provoke questions and comments, that would provoke concern. Someone would want to know, what are you on right now that allows you to be in peace? I pray that that would be true for every single person in the room. Thank you, Jesus, for your peace. Thank you for your grand revelation of the baby in this time, in this place, in this season. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.